Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Chaz Smith, it is February 2nd, 2024. We have a gargantuan show today. It is a day that shall live in history, David Lee Scales. It's been a crazy 2024, a year of surfing already, and it's only one month in. I mean, it seems like the surf gods just gifted Beach Grit, and only Beach Grit, everything it wanted at the start of this year. We have transgendered furors. We have Philippe Toledo showing his lack of spine once again. It's perfect. It really is crazy. Huge news stories, tons of fun on the internet. Um, We're going to basically you know, poke fun, have fun with Felipe Toledo and the WSL. We're going to wade into treacherous waters with the transgender conversation, but then I'm going to bring it back and we're just going to lighten the mood. By making fun of Felipe Toledo again. What? By making fun of Felipe Toledo again. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to bring it back and everybody's going to feel great by the end of the show with a pros in the wild and a couple of listener line calls and uh, emails. So wonderful. Wonderful. Real quick. Are you watching? I got to get the live stream up. I have it loaded, ready to go. If it goes live today, do you have any idea if the pipeline pro will run again today? I don't know. I have not checked the forecast as of uh, two days ago. And uh, so we could just check it in real time as we're going. So I want to open with a couple of important bits of news. Um, Weekend vans. We've been talking about weekend vans. They will be on display this weekend at Camp Shred. They sure will be. For anyone who has not gone to Camp Shred or doesn't know what it is, it is at Cardiff State Beach. Uh, They basically take over the entire campground there. 
And each campsite has a different either surf retailer, surf board, shaper, all surf adjacent, surf, everything. Anything you want to do with surf. Chris Cote usually plays, his band plays there, which is a great thing to see. Uh, completely worth a rundown to Camp Shred. And weekend vans being there only makes it better. Completely. So we've talked about them for the last month or so, and we just figured this would be a great opportunity to go see it in action. Um, they're going to be set up at the JS booth. So JS surfboards, you'll see the weekend vans, um, family friendly bunk bed setup built out into the camper van, into the sprinter van, basically grab. They're going to stock it with LaCroix, uh, ice cold LaCroix with a solar powered refrigerator. So those things are kitted with a solar powered fridge. So Cool way to check them out. I would imagine too that, uh, yeah, if you're in the market or thinking about getting one, a sprinter, thinking about getting it kitted out, that going to actually step inside one, see how it feels and whatnot would be entirely valuable. Exactly. And we for, failed to state um, Camp Shred is actually a surfboard demo. So all of those surfboard manufacturers that are there with booths have demo boards that you could take out straight out front. I have a quick question about this, David Lee Scale. That starts tomorrow, does it not? I believe so. Yeah. It is dumped rain and gross water. I know waters. But uh, what happens? Is it? I mean, they booked out the whole campground, so I would imagine just be brave, unlike our two-time reigning world champion, and paddle out anyway. Uh, I think they're going to hold the event no matter what, whether you decide to surf or not is up to you, but boards will be available and it's still worth going to, even if you don't surf, you know, it's totally awesome. I mean, it is such a, it's yeah, it is one of the funner events to do it at the campground is a great idea. Yeah. So, and go to weekendvans.com if you need a sprinter van or you want one kitted out, or you have one that you want them to it out for you go to weekendvans.com and then on instagram at weekendvans they are currently working on our podcast van right now so that should be up and running i don't know when he gave me a date i forget what the date was but within a month or so i'd say um the other exciting news is we give away a surfboard every month and this morning i picked at random with a wheel of fortune style app on my phone one of our lucky supporters to win the timber surf co surfboard and that is one russell gardner Russell Gardner, where does Russell Gardner come to us from, David Lee Scales? Uh, he just replied to the email. It looks like he's in North County, San Diego, San Marcos. Boom. Way to go, Russell Gardner. Come down to pick it up at Camp Shred. That makes it so much easier to deliver the surfboard. I was, I'm always worried they're going to be in Australia or something. we got to ship the board across the world. Yep. So this board is manufactured in Santa Cruz, Timber Surf Code. Check them out. Ryan Lynch is the uh, master behind that. His whole ambition is obviously people talk about sustainability. His is very specific. It's to eradicate resin from the surfboard manufacturing process. And so he's doing it with like a timber layup. He makes corkies and uh, they're incredible, well-constructed. They surf incredibly well. Um, he's got Austin Smith Ford from Santa Cruz riding his boards, just shredding on them. Have you surfed one? So, no, I haven't. I get myself in a predicament where... We're giving away all these surfboards. I want every single one of them. Yeah. And so for the first couple of years, I would. And now I have too many surfboards and not enough time to surf. And so um, I it's no, I don't want to, you know, uh, dismiss the boards at all. I want to ride them. It's just, I don't need another surfboard. I hear you. But sometimes a surfboard comes along like a timber surfboard that I know. Is, is radically revolutionary. 
And I look at that board and I say, I sure would like to try that. I've, I've ridden, I know what I do on a, you know, foam and fiberglass board, but maybe the only thing holding me back from a mid-level QS ability is timber tech. It could be. It could be the um, key that like, I've just been waiting. My body's been waiting for this the whole time. I don't know. Maybe. I know. I know. Well, the other detail here is it's not um, financially prudent or viable to buy a new surfboard every single month. And we want to support these guys. You know what I mean? We don't want to ask them for freebies or even take a freebie. We want to support them and pay for them. So I just can't afford it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But borrowing, if, borrowing boards and refusing to turn them is a thing only real assholes do. Yes, that is right. Who wears sunglasses indoors as well. Um, so just for the record, anybody who wants to get in on these giveaways, support us for five bucks a month. It is the backbone of our business. It is building blocks of the business. You can do it at surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can cancel it anytime. Um, so five bucks a month, you probably won't even notice it missing, but it goes a long way towards supporting our work, improving in the quality. We've started to hire, you know, freelancers for video production and stuff like that. So it really does support us. There's hard costs involved here. And then it gets you in on these giveaways automatically. And it's a smoking deal for five bucks. It's well worth the price of admission. Oh my goodness. And thank you, you want to it? everyone. And do you want to know what we're giving away at the end of this month? What? albums collab project with coco ho an no. exo coco surfboard no fresh see i love this too we're not giving away here on this podcast we're not giving away boards that have been sitting at the back one time let me tell you a story david lee scales since we have a monster show i'm sure we have time for a lot of extra fat here uh one time mike rayola of lost surfboards uh did like some advertising or lost early days of beach Crate did an advertising deal Anybody who knows Mike Rayola knows that he is a, let's call him a thrifty businessman. Uh, and so was trying to pay us with surfboards instead of money. And so finally, I think Derek was over. Yeah, Derek had come over from Australia and we were going to collect the debt. And so finally, Derek was like, okay, fine. Like he wasn't budging. So he took us into uh, the, what's the shop there in San Clemente? Catalyst. Catalyst. And started searching for the yellowest boards that he could find. Catalyst is like, it's a real pristine, like all boards, you know, freshies, just that white, brand new, beautiful surfboard. He went around trying to find the yellowest he wants, once he could to pay us instead of money that he owed. Mike that Rayola. is incredible. But that's not what we do here. All to say we give the freshest just off, just like literally just out of the mind of both Matt Parker and Coco Ho is this XO Coco board. So yeah, freshies, not yellows. And we've talked about the revolutionary aspect of it's an entirely female designed uh, board you know, board line. And so that's super cool too. So basically this is a surfboard for a woman, for a female. And what we decided was there's a good chance a male is going to win this thing. We want to advertise the Cocoa thing, talk about it, discuss why those boards, you know, how you design a board for a female as opposed to a male. And so I'm going to have that conversation with Matt Parker, and I'm going to publish that on Monday this coming week. So everybody can listen to that. But if a male wins the board and doesn't have a female in his life who surfs that he can gift the Cocoa board to, we're going to make an album available to him. Wow. I mean, talk about a, but imagine the conundrum now. Imagine the pickle that the likely male winner 
Now it's do you gift or do you take? Is it better to give or receive is going to be the real problem well, this winner will have to deal with. It will be a tools to live by on the first week of March when Perfect. we pick the winner. But I'll tell you what, if I won that cocoa board, I'd probably take the cocoa board and try to ride it myself just out of curiosity. Why not? I yeah. mean, what's to say, especially in this genderless world we live in, David Lee Scales, that board's exactly. not for women. That board might be for you. It could unlock some unknown potential that you're talking about and you can surf up your ability up to a Midland QSer. Yeah. <laughs> Fair to Midland QSer. All right. Well, hey, the hugest story of the week undoubtedly is not the Pipe Pro. It's Felipe Toledo backing out of his heat at the Pipe Pro because the waves are too big. I mean, you cannot. The WSL said it, and I believed it at the time. No, I didn't. I said, no, this you can't script this thing is garbage. But you can't script this. It is too perfect. It is this would defy, I mean, who are the best script writers, screenplay writers of our time? We could say maybe Mike White, who did uh, White Lotus, or we could, we could, like, not even Hollywood's greatest genius in his prime could come up with this storyline. No, because the reason we ended up here is they're so bad at their job. They misunderstand surfing so much. Those, the powers that be at the WSL, that they're just like... They don't even know where the target is. They're missing yeah. the target so bad. So all the cards kind of fall down and you're just like, what? How does this even happen? Where pipeline is so inconsequential that the world champ doesn't even have to show up to surf it and he'll still end up being the world champ next year too. Whereas that's that's professional competitive surfing. Whereas in the real surf world, pipeline is all that matters. I Nothing mean, else matters until you can do it at pipe. But on professional competitive surfing, doesn't matter at all. They just really screwed up, right? This is what happens when you have uh, non-surfers, Eric Logan, Sophie Goldschmidt. This was Eric Logan's big brainchild, right? Let's yeah. just all put it directly on the poo-poo touch of one year, three years ago or whatever. It was like the final actually ended up, but it was between Idolo and Gabe at Pipeline, right? Yeah. And so they decided we're going to remanufacture this, except they've botched their pipeline scheduling so had to or decided to start with pipeline because of botched scheduling and then for whatever reason decided to end at lower trestles and then ink that forever into or for the next you know it'll be five years by the time they're done with this current run of that's where the uh champion is crowned everybody knows that don't have to get into that but it's just that is just a mistake uh and it just shows that pro surfing is broken but the surf fan i think doesn't regard the winner anymore we don't care. We know in our hearts who the best surfer every year is. And it is not Felipe Toledo, right? It hasn't been. He's the best small wave surfer. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. we applaud him for that. But he has not been the best surfer. The fact, I mean, there's so many nuggets to this story, David Lee Scales. So many different angles and uh, little alleyways to meander down. That's what makes it so fun. But I mean, I don't even know where to start, to be so honest. So let me let me start by connecting dots across a number of shows from the past month or two. Elo's poo-poo touch, right? The poo-poo touch. If Elo was preparing food with his poo-poo touch and you ate that food, you know what you would get? Food poisoning. Food poisoning. Elo's poo-poo touch is the direct line to Felipe Toledo's food poisoning. It's true. I mean, I don't like to say that we're prescient and know everything, but- 
a lot of times it feels that way. Hey, a lot of times it feels like we're just really talking crap. And I feel like people who maybe, you know, don't appreciate the humor or whatever, they would look at us and just be like, you guys are so far off base. You just want to make fun of people. However, go back and track the things that came to fruition that we were pointing out six months in advance, which by the way, it's obvious. It's not that other people don't see it. It's kind of in the ether. It's just the rest of surf media can't or won't talk about it. We're and the so, only ones talking about it publicly. Really, let's briefly describe what went down at in case. I'm sure everyone has seen it, but like it's it's worth discussing for those who, you know, haven't been in message boards and stuff like that, who maybe caught the heat wherein Felipe Toledo got a 1.77 heat total, even though it was during his heat. You don't want to call it oh, clearly was not perfect pipe, but there was big waves and plenty of them. Enough so that he, the two other guys in his heat uh, both got eights, right? Or one got a high seven, one got an eight. Like there was there. And those scores, right were, they so, were just throwing those scores out. Like So Samuel Pupo won the heat with 13 point heat total. Cheyenne Crawford had an eight point ride, but then not, not a backup score. Uh, so finished the heat with a 9.27. Felipe Toledo sat with priority up until six minutes left in the heat. He sat with priority through almost the entire heat. With six minutes left, he went on a not hollow left. He went on a left that was not bowled out and just kind of raced to the shoulder and kicked out. So he got a 0.5. Yeah. Then with very like 30 seconds left, he took off on the shoulder of a wave, again, not barreling, and did a snap and got a 127. So this is all after years of him not going in big barreling surf and us pointing that out and questioning his bravado and really not even questioning it for the last couple of years, just straight calling him out for being scared. It's because every other event throughout the season, he is an absolute shark in the lineup. So not only does he get more than two waves per heat, he's paddle battling people. He's dominating the lineup. That is his style of surfing and his style of surfing heats. The only events throughout the season that he is not a shark in the lineup are Chopu and Pipeline. Which Full stop. So going into this and certainly coming off of a world title, and this is the first heat of the year, we want to see our world champ go out there and show that same dominance that he does throughout the rest of the events on tour. And the big pipe, there's that question mark of like, what is he going to do now? And that that we described in heat number one is what he did. The real problem here with Felipe, how do you solve a problem like Felipe, is uh, that his spinelessness is spreading. It used to only be Chopu, right? I mean, maybe he was scared of other waves, but he had surfed pipe and though he had never gotten excellent scores out of pipeline and wasn't like, you know, air dropping into cavernous, you know, lefts and getting coming out behind the spit, you know, but I don't remember him uh, putting on a chicken shit performance out there, like him bobbing out the back, terrified. That's what he did this time. He literally sat with that priority that, as you described, he pretended to go, he purposefully got himself out of position so he wouldn't have to paddle for real waves. So I think here's in lies the, the nugget of the whole thing and his response, which we need to spend much time upon too, is that he was allowed uh, to be chicken at Chopu and that be okay. He had people defending him for being a chicken out there. People saying, why should he go, right? Like, 
all he's going to do, like Kelly Slater defended him. Why should he? He's going to risk injury where he's got his eye on the prize, which is winning championships. And the championships are now at lower trestles. So, and there was like a fair amount of people making this argument. Like what's in it for him to go at Chopu? This got into his head. And this, I think, has now set the tear in his heart. Maybe it was fleeting. Maybe it could have been solved at some point. Now he thinks he is justified in having this tear. His response, which we should read in full, but so, of course, he doesn't paddle. He looks like a complete chicken. Live, first heat that anyone's watched, the two-time and reigning world champion surf in the new season, and he's cowering. He's clearly cowering out the back. Uh, the His response to that is not going dark, being ashamed, you know, saying whatever. And of course he draws, you know, withdraws with food poisoning, which is the well, most that's, hilarious thing. That's really the, when you think that heat one, he couldn't be any more cowardly. Heat two trumped it. Yeah. He, he literally, he literally did not paddle out for a second heat and claimed that he had food sick, uh, food poisoning and he was too sick to surf. So the WSL didn't run the other two surfers in the heat. Cause it's only, you know, the, Third place finisher gets eliminated. So the other two get a walkthrough. And so then the question, you know, uh, very kind of small question pops up is, does he have food poisoning or not? Anybody with half a sense is like, no, obviously that's a phony story. I'm just, you know, I'm going to straight out say that was complete, completely fabricated. Well, and, and uh, as I mean, I think it truly points to the uh, genuine terror in his heart and the growing yeah. terror, right? Is that a lot of people in the comments pointed out the anybody who's been terrified. What is the euphemism used for terror? I was so scared. I shit my pants, right? Exactly. Which yeah. you, that stomach upset, that feeling of like, oh, like I've been terrified, terrified like that before, right? Like getting grabbed by Hezbollah and sitting there thinking, I'm going to die. I had that, you just get stomach sick. And I think that's what Philippe had, a tear so big that he had a physical reaction to it. Now- That he mistook as food poison. That he, and or, you know, yeah. Like the lies you tell yourself, right? right Told himself exactly. that lie. Oh, that's why I didn't. So, but all this is baking in. So his tear is growing and getting like tear- is let's say it's a disease. You have to attack that disease, right? Let's go. To, let's see who attacked that disease. We have basically everyone, but we can appoint or any pro surfer worth their salt has attacked the disease of terror, including Kelly Slater. He wasn't born a big wave charger. He went out and learned and did it, and now is one of the best surfers in the world at pipeline, at you know cloud break, at real waves of consequence. Uh, we have Adriano de Sousa, Felipe Toledo's countryman, who was not good at pipe, maybe not scared, but definitely not good. Went out with Jamie O'Brien for months, if not years and trained and did it, conquered his fear, right? Philippe Toledo has been coddled to the point of, you don't have to conquer your fear. Your fear is okay. Your fear is in fact smart. Your fear is, you know, keeps you the champion, et cetera, et cetera. So what happens then after he becomes rightly the butt of every joke on surf internet is to release a defiant statement to my armchair critics to those like the classic to those sitting at home to the i think he called them armchair champions in fact hoisting well, or yeah read the entire statement he was specifically i mean cj hobgood 
commented on that post. And so I feel like um, maybe Gabe was talking about him specifically because that was the only world champ that I saw leave a funny comment about Philippe. But, but what Felipe said was, to the critics on duty and the world champions who comment on social networks outside, believe what you want. I'm not here to prove anything to you. My health is my priority. To those cheering me on, thank you very much. We are together. And ha ha, we will be back better and stronger. I mean, so this, he should have been ashamed. He should feel shame. Instead of feeling shame, he feels defiant. He feels, to my critics, I have nothing to prove to you, which yeah. is, are you kidding me? Like, what, what are you even talking about? Like you think he thinks that his two championships are worth something. They're utterly worthless. The poo yeah. touch made those things worthless. Any surfer knows, right? You can maybe convince some non-surfing person that, oh, I'm two-time world champion. And they can maybe think, oh, cool. Wow. You're the surf champion. Anybody who surfs now knows that his championships are heavy with asterisks, both of them, and that he's a sissy and that charging is part of what we want from our surfers. We want them to go, right? And again, it should go without stating. I'm so very tired, though, of the argument, well, you wouldn't go. I'm not a professional surfer with yeah. the talent and ability of Philippe Toledo, where the only thing I'm lacking is heart. I mean, yeah. so stop that right now. Philippe, this is Philippe Toledo's duty it's his job it's his you said duty yeah <laughs> it is his it, this is what he needs to do to get the, the fact that he thinks he doesn't have to i i have nothing to prove like well my we all have stuff to prove so i want to talk about him um fighting against his critics because that's totally whack and i'll get to that in a second but i do want to address whether or not he had food poisoning if you've ever had food poisoning you don't even have the ability to pick up your phone and write a diatribe against your critics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you were laid out if and you're actually, laid out in yeah. the bathroom and it transitions between vomiting and diarrhea. And you're just laying on the ground trying to get the cold tile to make you feel better. You know that what I mean? A, like that is where you're at. That is a so, great point to call it, to call it food poisoning. If you are food poisoned, like you have a serious, serious problem. You're exactly exa right. If for, for, at least Thanks. half a day, yeah. maybe not, maybe 24 hours, right? So he was literally fighting with people on the internet a couple hours later. Yeah. Secondly, I've heard from Boots on the Ground, they saw him socializing that afternoon and drinking a beer. Yeah. So there's that. He also had no indication of food poisoning in that earlier heat. What he did have was the look of fear by not going on waves and sitting until there were six minutes left. So all evidence leading up to it is no indication. Two hours later, apparently he has food poisoning, which by the way, if you're eating the on-site food, other people would have gotten food poisoning as well. You're not the I mean, only person who gets food poisoning, right? So very, very unlikely. And then two hours after that, he's fighting with people on the internet and is seen socializing and drinking beer. So the food poisoning thing is full BS as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Now, addressing him not charging in big waves and him fighting against his critics, a listener wrote this, and I could summarize it in my own words, but it probably wouldn't do it justice because I think the listener just put it better. What he said was, what makes me more mad um, than him not going on waves of consequence and heats is his repeated response to his critics, is that his repeated, repeated response to his critics is, I don't have to prove anything to you. 
that response shows the heart of the problem as he isn't owning his failure as a professional surfer representing his sponsor's country and the WSL. His expectation that everyone would feel bad for him or maintain the wall of positive noise and look the other way when he doesn't go on waves and heats is ridiculous. Scrutiny is a healthy concept in competitive sports and acknowledging your weakness is part of the game. The lion facade with everything cheetah pattern, by the way, why is it cheetah pattern if he's all about being a lion, is further gaslighting all of the fans as to try to convince us that he is courageous and what we should and that we should celebrate that in him. What a perfect example of the WSL product um, and their changes to the sport. Here's your two-time world champion sitting in a yellow jersey with over a lion tattoo with cheetah spray on his board and his shorts, bobbing on the shoulder like a buoy with priority on an empty lineup at glassy eight to ten foot pipe and back door, only to go on two mush burgers. Something is terribly wrong here. I mean, that's the and that's the thing. The the problem is we will all move on. You know, the surf punditry and the fun talk that we have, and that we're gonna make. We're going to live to make fun of somebody another day. Philippe Toledo will be far in the rearview mirror. Philippe Toledo's got to live with himself. Like this is, he doesn't have to solve his lack of spine for me or you or the person making fun. He has to solve his lack of spine for himself because he has to live the rest of his life with himself. And eventually your self uh, delusion wears thin. Like yeah. for sure at Always. 3 a.m. At 3 a.m. He's going to wake up eyes. Bing. He's going to look at the ceiling and think I'm a chicken and no, I am a chicken. Now, what do you do with that? Right? Like you can wake up the next morning and start defending yourself again, or you can say, I'm a chicken. Do I want to be a chicken or not? That's your first thing, right? If you want to yeah. be a chicken, fully Toledo doors wide open, come out and say, I'm scared. And I don't want to fix that. Right. Everybody will think a lot less of you, but they'll at least think more of you than you publicly self-deluding. Right. I would love that. If he straight out said like, I'm, I'm scared out of my mind. Yeah, we've somehow been able to win these titles because the WSL's format is so whack. But I'm scared out of my mind. I'm hoping to confront it. I'm trying to learn. Maybe I'm going to employ Shane Dorian or something and like figure it out. But right now I'm scared. Yeah, I'd I be mean, fine. It's exactly what Strider said in the water, which was amazing, right? Strider was like, he he's pulling back. He's got to fix this. Like there's ways to fix it. There's He has, and again, for the person who's like, I'm just not making fun of Lee Toledo, you wouldn't go. Uh, I also don't have access to coaches and to like he could tap anyone this story would be the best story in surfing for philippe toledo to actually conquer his fears yeah to conquer your fears you have to admit you do have fears Correct. uh but then he could go tap anybody and say take me out to pipeline and just teach me take me out to chopu let's baby step it up right let's take me out on the safe days show me where to sit show me how you do let me take a couple Take me like, I will pay you handsomely for this because I want to conquer my fear. But yep. that's like, if which is just... what a lot of other people do, by the way, including a bunch of the surfers on the female side, obviously the Adriana de Souza example that you gave earlier with Jamie O'Brien, and they do it over the course of years. What, and what we all do in our own lives with not necessarily surfing, but with whatever thing, whatever yeah. thing is like, is our boogeyman, our own personal boogeyman's, right? Uh, or boogie women's or boogie them's. Uh, we look in the mirror and we say, do we want to confront this or not? And then when we do decide, you know, everybody, this is like life. And the worst thing you can do is say, no, this is not my boogeyman. Shame on you for saying, you know, that my, that 
I'm not good at this thing or, or yeah. whatever. You're an idiot. Like it, Philippe Toledo it, has to live with Philippe Toledo <laughs> and this will shame him. It'll shame his family. His kids will look at him differently. Like they all know, like, brutal. I mean, but well, it's true. Well, they'll, it, know, they'll wake up and look at dad one day and say, dad's a chicken. It's one thing to say that there's a chink in the armor because uh, he doesn't surf big waves. That's not the biggest chink. It's the mindset that you are talking about. The, un the unwillingness to acknowledge where your limitation lies and being willing to address it and willing to work on it, that shows this huge vulnerability in him that he needs to suss out because it's going to undermine the rest of his strengths. I mean, and the again, like you say, and I say too, I suppose, if he just admitted fear, that's the first step. But you're really not allowed to be scared as a professional surfer on the championship tour, right? Like you're not, so you, you can admit it. That's the first step. That's fine. And everyone would applaud Philippe Toledo if you came out and said, yes, I'm scared. And then there would be steps for you to take, right? There is ways for you to conquer that fear. Again, Kelly Slater was not born, I think, fearless. And I think Slater has talked a lot about it, about going out and learning the ropes at, you know, difficult waves. Because guess what Kelly has that I don't have, you don't have, nobody has a bunch of skill. Guess what you have, Philippe Toledo, that I don't have, you don't have. I mean, and by you, I'm talking to David Lee Scales, unless he gets on the Exo Coco board, is a like buckets, overflowing buckets of skill, of lightning fast reflexes, of ways to manipulate a surfboard to get it to do things that I can't do, average man can't do, not even half of the best surfers in the world can do, not even the most of the best surfers in the world can do. You, Philippe Toledo, have an ability and skill that you are making a mockery of. That's a real bummer. Look at Cade Madsen's you know, rookie on tour probably doesn't have much experience out of pipe at all. Look at the wave that he went on. You know Dumped what I mean? Like he does falls went top to bottom and got like that had to hurt. I had to hurt bad. It had to be very, very, very scary. And he, yeah. and he went, he confronted the fear and he went, you know, with none of the, not as much of the talent as Felipe Toledo, not the world titles, none of it. And so that's what we want to see out of our surfers. Um, if the WSL designed a, world tour where there were waves of consequence, Callum Robson would actually rank higher than Felipe Toledo. You know what yeah, I mean? Like sure. this, this is more of an indictment of the WSL and their venues on tour and the style of waves that they run in than it is of Felipe. Felipe, he's not even gaming the system. He's just surfing to the system and it suits him. It happens to suit small wave surf prowess right now. But Callum Robson, who's just probably making one-tenth the amount of money as Felipe Bonsoir. Toledo. He's making he's making that soy milk money. Exactly. His his bravado, that's what we want to see. That's After, the hero stuff. That's somebody whose name you barely know, who's not really making a living, going out there, confronting their fear, putting all of their talent on the line against Mother Nature and getting blown out of the barrel. And he did it last what, year too. You know that's what I mean? What, like, that's why we watch professional surfing. That's yeah. why we watch it for that. We don't watch professional surfing to see, you know, flippy airs at lower trestles. Sure, if that's what we have to watch, then that's what we will watch. But the heart and essence of professional surfing is pipeline. It is Derek Ho winning pipeline with a broken hand it is all of the Mike or sorry, Mike Ho winning it with a broken hand. It is the gladiators who go out there and do battle. And 
back to Callum Robson, that heat to me is the very essence of uh, professional surfing at its best, right? So what we have is Cal uh, Robson getting absolutely stuffed by Gabriel Medina, dangerously stuffed by Medina, which was awesome. Like I loved Gabe was back at that moment for those who haven't seen it. Uh, Gabe had priority. Uh, Callum took a deep wave, a perfect, beautiful pipe wave. Gabe shoulder hopped him, making him straighten out straight in the, like, yeah, it was like dirty and mean and perfectly Gabe. I love to see it. But then Robson went on and beat him. Yeah. One. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Really impressive stuff um, against the guy who's known for being the best gamer in the business, you know? Yep. Um, so I was interviewing... Well, I'm just going to play this. We were talking about um, don't ever give music recommendations because nobody's going to listen. This guy has the uh, opposite take on that. All right. So I know that we vent a lot about how the WSL has no clue, but I thought the easiest way to see this is just look at the music. Look at the music that they play on the webcast. It's not anything that a surfer of any age would ever listen to. All right, so I don't think I got it right last time, so I'm going to make my point a different way. He fumbled at the end of one call and then called back, so I'm just <laughs> giving you both of them. Think about how many incredible songs and bands that you learned about because you heard them on a surf video for the first time. Think about how influential surf and skate and snowboard videos were on your music preferences when you were growing up, today even. Now think about the fact that the music that they use for every WSL piece of content is the shittiest thing I've ever heard and no surfer would ever listen to it. That tells you all you need to know right there. Work. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about don't ever send anybody music recommendations because they're never going to listen to them. The flip side of that is when you do hear somebody's music preferences, if they're bad, like if they have awful music taste, it says a lot about them. You know it's what I mean? Like if it's somebody, a if window you window to their soul, it really is, dude. If you have somebody who you're like, oh, I kind of like this person, and then you figure out they love dubstep or something, yeah, you're just like, so... what? That can't yeah. be right. I'm... And the WSL's musical aesthetic says everything we need to know. You know what I mean? I mean, it's weird. That's what it is. It's just, it's like everything they do now, to be honest, I'm not even mad at the WSL anymore. They're, they very, oh, yeah. they very, very clearly have no idea what they're doing. It's run. There is surfers in the room. You got your striders, you got your, you know, whoever, but the, whatever uh, decision. And when I talked to Chris Cote, wonderful Chris Cote, positive man, Chris Cote, who won't say anything negative. Right. Uh, the feeling you get, you know, Chris Cote is in the room. Nobody's asking him his, his, his opinion. Like decisions are being made at the top by non-surfers who know nothing for non-surfing reasons. And then that all gets passed down and everybody kind of scratches their head. And if they want to be positive and try to go along and get along, they do it. See Chris Cote. If they want to be, if they want to be mad about it, they point fingers like us. Uh, but really no surfer. No, there's no surfer in the room. That's what I was going to say is the surfers in the room who did have a critical assessment of the WSL's decision-making have since left the room. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so they know they, 
they can keep Chris on or Chris is happy to stay on because he's not going to question the direction of anything. They tell him to stand on the stage and act like Bruce Buffer at lowers and, you know, basically right. turn it into a circus. He's going to grab the mic and do it. Sure. That's, so, what, that's what they want. That's what I'll give them. And good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, but it's such a, like, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it just all goes without even saying anymore that like this pipe event, uh, being like only what, like only watching it really. And of course I like the, that one day, uh, the good performances that we saw, like, again, like Robson's like, I watched a, how much did you watch that day? I watched a good portion. The, the entirety of it. Yeah. I watched a good 75%, but it's just deflating knowing that it doesn't matter. Like that's, that's the problem. Yeah. A, a little bit deflating. If you're going to be a pro surf fan, which we are right, then you want pipeline to matter. Even though, and for the purists out there, you can't do professional serving anyway. You can't judge it. It's, you know, a hard soul sport, blah, blah, blah. I fully get you. I understand. But if we're going to have this, then, okay, let's, it's just an, a little added fun to have professional surfing. Uh, but making pipeline not matter is like, yeah. are you kidding me, man? Well, that's, that's exactly how I felt was I turned on the event. The waves are pumping. I see a bunch of, you know, good surfing right out of the gates. I was amped. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I love. And then seeing the th how the day kind of transpires and knowing that none of it's going to matter at the end of the year when it comes down to points makes me feel like it's a wasted investment on my behalf. Yeah, I'm like, I am emotionally investing each heat, whose storyline is what, who's doing what, how do they look for the rest of the season? And then I realize they're going to undercut it all at the end of the year. And so what am I doing here? No, like my investment is almost a waste of time. Completely. You know? Like to get excited, to get, you know, to even enjoy it fe feels like a waste of time because mm -hmm. I mean, that's what even watching. So I watched a whole ton uh, on the opening day and throughout a bunch of it, I was thinking I should be doing better things right now. And yeah. then like, that shouldn't be the nagging feeling. I don't, when I'm sitting no. and watching a football game that I want to watch or a basketball game on, I want to watch or any sporting event I want to watch. I don't, the constant refrain in my mind is not, I should be doing something better right now. Like that's what I'm doing. I'm enjoy, I chose to enjoy this thing and that's what I'm doing with yeah. surfing. It's constant when I'm watching it these days. It's just, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. This, and this is my stinking <clears throat> job. I know. And I think well, I'm wasting my time watching surfing. Well, the funny thing is that's all that we're going to say about the pipe pro today. You know, like this is the only storyline that mattered was yep. Felipe Toledo. Everything else, by the way, speaking of inconsequential, everything else that happens on day one doesn't even matter because yeah. four people leave. Four people leave. Yeah, exactly. Speaking uh, of the real quick, uh, before we get to drinkag1.com slash surf and I'm all slugging it. I'm wonderful <laughs> benefits. I'm slugging it right now. Anybody who sees this green juice and thinks, wow, that looks nutritious, delicious. You are right. It is. Get it at drinkag1.com slash surf. I'll tell you how you know it's delicious. Do you want to know how you know it's delicious, David Lee Scales? Hold that back up to the camera. Because you look forward to it every morning? I do. But hold yeah. that up to the camera real quick. For those who the can't froth. see, there is a beautiful layer of foam on top. Now, anything that has a beautiful layer of foam on top is by definition, delicious. We have cappuccinos. We have, uh, I don't know, we have whipped Guinness. Cream. We have Guinness. A anything that has that float is, you know, it's delicious. Mm -hmm. AG1 has that float. Drink AG1.com slash surf has that float. Anyways, sorry to interrupt you. 
Yeah, but uh, I was going to say about something about the rookies or the the four that got eliminated that day is where we were going. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I was going to ask if one of those three, I guess four, happened to be your survival league pick. I know we didn't reveal our picks last week. No, I am still alive. I went for you know the obvious and just picked John John. Okay, so that's what I did last year. Last year, I thought my survival league, uh, my, yeah, what I'm going to do, my strategy, is just going to pick whoever the best surfer on the draw is, irregardless of where they're surfing, right? Because it is a kind of best. uh, And of course, you can then weigh, okay, who's best at pipeline, right? Right. Where, and who did Baron Mamiya go out first? Some, Some real pipe specialist, not this year, but some... Real pipe specialist went out last year first Seth, and Seth, Seth Moniz. Exactly. Yeah. And like devastated the field. I think 67% of the survival league field was lost uh, at pipeline because of, and a bunch of that was Seth Moniz. And because he was in pipe. the final the year before too. Precisely. And an obvious choice at pipe. But for me, like in my strategies, I suppose, uh, experience and all this, when it, like a history of winning trumps somebody being really good at a, out of wave so yeah but this year i went different what'd you do i picked and went on a roller coaster snuck through yago doro wow i went out on yago last year uh yago i made it pretty far last year i think i made it i definitely made it past the cut i can't remember how far i made it but yago was the one who took me out i think i lost to i, I might have even made it to chopu and yago might have killed me at chopes but anyway mm. can't remember but all to say is, uh, I felt like, you know, hair of the dog, the get back on the horse. I feel that these aphorisms, you know, it's the hair of the dog that bit you. And it was Yagodora who bit me. Yep. Had to, had to do hair. Well, let's see. We're still not past the round of 32 yet. So he We're could not. still come back to bite. But yeah, I just figured... My original pick, I didn't want to say it last week, was going to be Kelly. Because I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't need Kelly for the rest of the year. I, but I could use him at pipe if the waves are good. I was kind of waiting to see what the forecast was going to do. But um, that, kind of also, thinking, that kind of thinking bites people, though. I, and I've been bitten so many times in this by trying to be sophisticated. And so I go, you know what? I just Who's going to win this event? John oh. John's going to win this event. I'm picking John. Yeah, Who cares? I, wanted, I would I like to use through. him. I would like to use him at Margaret as well, but screw it. I'm going to use him now because I need to get through this event before I get to Margaret. I mean, that's the thing. Looking down, they always talk about it in sports, like, uh, you know, preparing for the game that you're going to play in two and then losing sight of your weak opponent opponent yeah. right in front of you and losing. Right. This survival league, in order to win down the road, you got to win today. Exactly. Well, let's get on with the show. Um, Chessmith hates surfing. Chessmith responds to boycott rip curl transgender Fuhrer. I did. I didn't I watch the right video. In. I waded I, right into the sticky and touchy subject of so trans. Can you bring us up to speed on what's transpired since Bethany Hamilton has been let go by Rip Girl? Uh, so I think this whole thing will be taught in uh, public relations and marketing firms, college courses for history of the way not to handle something. So Rip Curl uh posted a celebration of like i don't know if they were releasing a new i think they were releasing a new line of swimsuits and so on instagram had one of them be uh sasha jane lorison the transgender surfer who 
was, is the first in history to win both the men's and women's event. He won the men's longboarding event as, I uh, can't remember his name, pre-transition, but transitioned to Sasha Jane Lorison and won a female surfing longboarding event. Bravo to her. Uh, but of course, all the all the cultural things that go along with that. But anyway, so that was, you know, has been in the news. But then Rip Curl, a post with Sasha Jane wearing a, you know, women's, obviously, uh, swimsuit and went on to praise her. Water Woman, you know, didn't praise her as a trans pioneer or anything. Was just Water Woman, Sasha Jane Lorison, blah, 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 blah. As everyone would have guessed right out of the gate, obvious blowback. Uh, the way that Rip Curl dealt with that blowback is quietly deleting the post, the offending post, and then waiting a couple days and issuing an apology, which, so we have no and no. Like the the choice to post Sasha Jane, I'll say company decision, right? If if you are leaning into that, lean into that, right? Have at that. This is what you, you fired Bethany ostensibly for her view. And let's not tar... Uh, Bethany entirely with the she's anti-trans. Bethany has only ever been on the record as being anti-women, anti-trans women in competing in women's sports. Very Correct. specific, right? Uh, but if that was the reason that Bethany and Rip Curl parted ways, and then for Rip Curl to double down on that by posting Sasha in a, you know, women's bathing suit and celebrating that, that's clearly their corporate they could do what they want, right? That's yeah. It's a strong want. decision. They had lots of meetings about it. They decided to go a, a very strong direction. Sure. And so if once you go that direction, if you go that direction and you are so head in the sand that you didn't see what happened to Bud Light when they went that direction or any company who go, goes that direction, there is a fierce backlash. I'm not saying that backlash is appropriate or good. I'm just saying that has what that's what's happened. So go, woke, go woke, go broke is exactly. a real thing. Yeah, exactly. And if you're rip curl and think, no, this is not this Sasha Jane Lowerson post is going to go either unnoticed or applauded, uh, you know, in corners. Uh, and then we're all, you know, we'll all just move on. This is showing that we are a company that, you know, is inclusive and blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. If that's the decision you made and you, you didn't think, but Okay, assuming that you were smart enough in the room to know we're going to have a backlash here, then you know you're going to have a backlash there. You you, and the, you stand up. And the bet there is we survive the backlash, we get through it because on the other side of this is correctness. And like and we is, are correct in the mind, you know, in the eye of history, we will be correct. Sure. So we just need to get through this little backlash right now. Sure. That's the decision. But there's no decision in that room that is we're not going to get any backlash. No, I mean ridiculous and so them deleting the post though okay now is, all of a sudden yeah you've uh bent to public pressure and now your allies on the other side theoretically those you know people who are trans rights and surf equity and all this all of these people are saying wait a second and then to issue an apology now you have everybody congratulations rip curl you have no not one ally in your court you have all the trans trans rights trans activists hating you for being spineless and bending the pressure and apologizing. Cause what are you apologizing for? Like you made a decision to feature a trans surfer and now you're apologizing for it. Cause you didn't know they were trying. I mean, what your apology is weak and dumb. And then you still have all the other side burning their boardies. 
Right. Insane. Like, it's I insane. don't know. I, I would not be surprised, to be honest, if this was big enough to tank Rip Curl. Like, I, mean, I don't, I don't want it to be, but yeah. I mean, whether or not it tanks Rip Curl, it's absolutely going to shred, shed tens of millions of dollars off of their profits at the end of the year. I mean, Bud Light is a was a major, major, major revenue driver for Budweiser, which is a yeah. major, major, major conglomerate or part of, I think, InBev owns them or whatever. Like, it is a billion upon billion upon billion dollar industry, and Bud Light was a billion upon billion dollar brand, right? The backlash they got was severe enough to severely, severely dent a yeah. conglomerate's profits. I don't know that Rip Curl could survive a major ding in profits. I think they could both survive it, but the difference is the magnitude. I mean, the, the actual number of dollars, like for Bud Light, they shed a couple billion bucks probably in profit. Whereas Rip Curl, I'd say it's more to the tune of 10 to 20 million bucks. Sure, but it's still, but it's all, it's all relative, right? It like still hurts. In InBev can take that billion dollar hit or whoever owns it. Uh, Kathmandu though can take Kathmandu it. You know can't. I, mean? I don't know that they can take I, tens of million. Like it's a smaller, like, you know, New well, Zealand we'll based. I mean, we will see, but this is not good. Rip Curl is just hoping this whole thing goes away at this point, but you, you can't really come back from this in a good way. You can't then position yourself as woke again after this, because people know clearly you're not, and you bend under pressure, financial pressure. Uh, and then the people who are mad at him will say, no, I'm never buying Rip Curl again, no matter what. Screw you. You already lost me. This might be the one example, those two examples, Bud Light and Rip Curl, of where we talk about there's no such thing as bad publicity. This is bad pu publicity. I don't see a good side of this publicity. I There is a way to spin it and use it for your own gain, but they're not doing that at all. No, they made such and mistakes. Each, yeah, each step that they turn is just stepping in another pile, basically. Um, did Rip or did uh, Bethany make a statement as well? She did. In, in regard that, to all of this? No, Bethany just made the statement of, I think it's not fair for trans women to compete in women's events, period. After so this she, started she re reasserted her point. She reasserted her point that was not anti-trans. It was just, I don't like trans women in sport. Which, well, and so... <clears throat> Uh, over to the like my Chaz Smith hates surfing episode must watch by the way uh I'm tired of mob mentality on both sides like the the mob think is unoriginal it's uninspiring there's no nuance there there's no like interesting take the rip curl does this takes a pro trans stance so I'm going to burn my rip curl trunks or on the other side rip curl is has deleted a proud beautiful trans woman i'm going to burn them down for that right like yeah. this mob think on both sides is uninteresting i think i don't know how we can't just say as a culture it's it is unfair trans women competing against women is unfair and so there there we have it if you want your sport to be unfair then let them compete if you don't want your sport to be unfair then don't let them compete it is what it is it is to say it any other way to if you want the the feelings and the whatever of trans athletes to be if that's more important than sport which i go ahead and make that argument i don't care yeah. like have to have all the trans women you want competing but it's not fair 
Like it is patently right. not fair. And to, the fact that we can't say that as a culture or society is dumb. Like yeah. that is a fact. It is not fair. Now, what you do with that fact, how you choose to, uh, you know, plug that fact in, whether, okay, it's so it's not fair. So we're not going to have compete as one way. It's not fair, but we don't care about fairness. We care more about inclusion. Great. Then they're there. But yeah. there's one class, David Lee Scales, forgotten in all of this that I had to champion because if not I, who? The North Korean slave, which at the end, I stand pro-trans, anti-trans. I don't care. I stand with the North Korean slave there in Pyongyang, fingers worked out and down to the bone, making his rip curl board boardies, his rip curl wetsuits for nothing. A slave, North Korean slave. Is that where rip curls products are made? Don't, don't you remember this? This was the most enjoyable story of 2016 when rip curl got busted for having its clothes made in a North Korean facility that employed slave labor. No, but thank you for bringing this back. That's yep. what I count on you for. <laughs> that is incredible. Well, one thing that I, the vindication that I like here and through this storyline is um, when Bethany and Rip Curl parted ways, nobody talked about it outside of the surf industry. And I felt like it, I was kind of surprised by that, you know? But through this latest uh, shift and Bethany making a statement, that has gotten mainstream news tra traction. Yeah. It was like Bethany commenting on Rip Curl's, you know, whatever, has become the story, is the Bethany comment. Like, I saw that in mainstream Fox News and whatever else. I mean, it gave uh, it a whole second. That's making headlines. So. It gave it a whole second life. That's the thing. Like, it did Rip Curl... Uh, the backlash to Rip Curl's post made an initial news cycle. Uh, and then Bethany's statement, which was 24 hours or whatever later, 48 hours later, made a whole different and bigger news cycle. A bigger, like Rip, yeah. Rip Curl has got hammered by this thing. Yeah. And hammered. so good on Bethany for coming out of that, you know, with the limelight. Again, no such thing as bad publicity, but she's grabbed the limelight in the bad thing that happened with the breakup with her and rip curl. So but do you, do you feel sorry for rip curl? Is there part of you that thinks, Oh, poor rip curl. Not at all. No, <laughs> I, I, sorry for rip curl. Sorry for a corporation. No, I don't feel sorry for a corporation. Um, also was, it's, I, it's I, just I will say waiting into politics as a corporation anyways, is just such pointless. You I mean, know, like, it's, or if you do, like to not know what you're doing is, I mean, somebody clearly at Rip Curl is going to get fired over this, right? Like, and I hope it's not the dear, I really love CEO Brooke Ferris, epic, epic, epic surfer person, wonderful. I hope she holds on. Uh, but the, yeah, to, to do this and not to think, hey, we're going to get a major, it could be a, a tempest in a teapot. But this is, we're going to definitely get backlash. We got to be ready as a company. We got to stand strong. We got to, we'll put it up and we either won't release a statement. We'll just let it, people are going to burn their trunks and whatever. We're just going to let that play out. Exactly like you said, knowing we're right at the end. And this is the way to greater profitability since that's what we care about at the end too. If we're a company, we see, you know, inclusion is where we want to be. That's bottom line is there. This yeah. thing that's happening now with everybody hating on, uh, yeah, any kind of progressive thing is going to burn out. So we're yeah. pivoting, but to not see this coming 
is, I mean, it's, it's egregious. Um, <clears throat> side note, since we're talking about your vlog, Chess Smith hates surfing. I've been experimenting with something on YouTube a little bit. A vlog of your own? No, no, no. Are you entering the vlogosphere with me? No, I'm not. I'm publishing all of our content on YouTube, but not as a vlog, just kind of as it already exists as a podcast. Yeah. But what I'm experimenting with is AI. Oh, how does how does this come in? Um, so like that platform, you really have to juice the algorithm, right? And it's an sure. entirely different experience than Instagram's algorithm or the, whatever. The and it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to get views anymore. Exactly, right? Like I think if, I think a view there is worth a lot. Like it's actually worth something though is the good thing. I think somebody's actually watching where Instagram, your Instagram can have, you know, 300,000 hits on it, but who you don't know if people actually were engaging with it. Well, okay. So I'll, I just like looking at it as a business, right? Like sure. our podcast um, audience and downloads or whatever have kind of plateaued for a while and I'm fine with it. It's like, cool. This is our core group. We're fine with it. It's a great number. And, you know, we'll just engage with this core group. It slowly, slowly, slowly ticks up, but it doesn't make these leaps and bounds. So anyways, as we've been filming the podcast and publishing on Instagram, we get a lot of engagement there. And yeah. in fact, lots of times kind of more engagement or more, you know, like you said, views that might be worthless, but more views than downloads on the audio. So I'm like, okay, there's opportunity here to engage and grow the visuals, which may end up kicking back to downloads down the road. They might become podcast listeners, whatever. And I'm good, at, I'm good at it on Instagram when I do it. I can take these videos, I can uh, cut them down into appropriate sizes for Instagram, make them a little bit more salacious, and then write a caption, get people to chime in in the comments, go to spar with them in the comments, and that helps. It's just engaging. You know, it's sure. a way for us to communicate with listeners on a visual medium. Well, so then we were publishing everything on YouTube for the last year or so, but it just doesn't get engagement because it's not designed for YouTube. If yeah. you want to design something for YouTube, you talk to the camera, you cut it a certain way, you put splashy graphics, you have to have a thumbnail with a big graphic on it, you know, and I'm not doing, I hadn't been doing any of that, but I see the potential for the platform. And so I hired a guy to optimize the channel and he's pitching me on the AI. He's just like, dude, we can really, we can they have this software and you can, and it'll write comments for you. It'll write flashy, you know, titles, like I'll rework your titles rather than just putting the name of the episode. We got to have like a sensational title. And so I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. My, my, uh, my obligation is to the audience on the podcast medium. So I'll stay tried and true with the content that we're producing on the podcast medium. And even on Instagram, I feel comfortable using my own voice for that. But YouTube, it's just the Wild West. Let's go rogue. Let's just throw it out there and let the robot speak for us and see how it goes. And let me tell you, it works and it's hilarious. Have you done it? Yeah, I've been it? doing Have it for a couple it? of weeks. It's incredible. You posted them? So we're posting our videos, but then the robot is commenting back to people who comment on the videos and hashtagging everything, reworking Epic. the titles. And so it works in two ways. It's absolutely growing the channel, like in way in leaps and bounds that it wasn't growing in before. But the captions are so off brand. It's wild. That's really fun. I mean, is it? Uh, I'm going to have to go dig in. I'm going to read one to you right now. Okay. I prepped one. So I published this interview with Alex Banier, who's a sander at 
Lamination San Diego, which is Joel Tudor's uh, glass shop. So they're making boards. They're doing the boards for Ryan Birch and uh, Jeff McCallum and like super high end, incredible work, you know, like world class laminations. So Alex Banier is a sander. I interviewed him. It's an epic interview. Anybody who cares about surfboard manufacturing, like it's detailed. Um, somebody comment on there favorably about the episode. And my AI bot responded to that comment with, quote, we're all about keeping the surf practice alive and rocking. And your passion for poly resin adds a unique flavor to the mix. Let's ride the resin waves together. Hashtag surf talk, hashtag board building, hashtag surf passion. That's amazing. What, what did the person respond to that? <laughs> I don't think they responded. That is great. That is straight up hilarious. <laughs> passion for poly resin i like mean what rocking too like i know rocking how, it's, but it works so like it does this and then more comments i mean more people find the video who are into surfing like so it's commenting and then that video is getting shared because people are uh following comments the hashtag there's hashtags in okay. there so yeah the hashtags must get fed to other people who like surfing so then i've started to see comments of people like saying hey man just found your show. Can't believe I didn't know it existed for 10 years. Like thrilled. I found it, you know, stuff wow. like that. So it's finding new people. That is so great to know. AI. I know. I know. Surfer it's, and us. Just I know. AI. And surfer worked too. Like the surf, the way that surfer is doing it, we make fun of it for using AI, oh, but for to be sure. honest, I'm paying Russian. more attention to surfer now and they're gaining tons of tons of traction i mean yeah they they have come in and dominated the surf you know it's all it really is like the quality i mean they have some good quote like jim kempton writes for there on there sometimes and who else they have some jake like, howard maybe yeah the bot jake howard does stuff uh <laughs> so howard bot. Uh, i the other thing is i just didn't have time to maintenance youtube you know what i mean so like i was like i'm not i mean literally years went by two years a year and a half where people were like dude Sid Abruzzi left you a comment. You don't even reply to Sid on his, yeah. on YouTube, you know? Like, that's just rude. Yeah, I'm like, you guys are right. Like, if people are taking the time to comment, I need to engage with them. So I still, once a week or so, will go in there and write, like, in my own voice, a real engage comment. with the person. And I also just started editing the bot's comments to actually, at the end of it, write commented by our AI bot oh, just great. for a full reveal, you know? Yep. So that we I mean, can kind of get the juice of the algorithm, but still kind of let people pe know the truth. People will know that it, you're not you're not actually saying rockin' or ride the ride the poly resin wave. I mean, it is funny just on its face, but it's also funny to see what resonates with other people. Like the yeah. fact the AI bot is choosing that word because it knows that word is what will create engagement, right? Sure. And so it's like, man crazy what engages people and how cheesy it actually needs to be to find resonance poly resin to find poly resonance writing the resin waves together yes <laughs> <laughs> that's not even the funniest one that was just like the first one i pulled up just to read to you but there's a it's like wild it's very, very very funny yeah hilarious anyways last week we did tools to live by where um the dad of a young kid had another surf the kids the other kid's dad wanted to go surfing together 
and we had a bunch of questions. We're like, does the other dad rip? Because if he rips, then you have to take his calls, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he chimed back in to give Great. us information. He said, DLS and Chaz, just listen to the latest grit. Thank you for your tool to live by. I started applying said tool to my situation. Um, that being said, I haven't gone completely scorched earth and banned my infant child from seeing her best friend as David advised, but to follow up, I'd like, I'd place the guy in the upper intermediate to lower ripper category of ability. We surfed junky chest high waves and he rode an appropriately short and wide grovelly thruster and he surfed it well. I intentionally rode a twin fin to avoid any sort of weird competitive dad heat starting in the water. Um, I know that he's done extended trips to famous locations, destinations, and apparently is very comfortable in heavy water. I know this because he's texted me about it. <laughs> we were fairly we were fairly well matched in the surf with him being slightly more technically proficient, I think. And I know you claim that ripping excuses all sins, but being too chatty on text is a step too far for me. Work. I can I could understand that. I could understand yeah. that even a ripper who insists on keeping up a long chat thread through the day would be tiresome. Yep. Yep. Well, we got to the bottom of that one. Yep. Uh, I teased a pros in the wild from last week, a lighthearted, heartwarming, actually, pros in the wild. So I'm going to read that to you now. Uh, uh, David and Chaz. I, like many South African surfers, have a Kelly at J-Bay story, but the one that I want to share to you today is of a lesser-known South African legend. I was recently uh, surfing at a spot about 45 minutes up the west coast from Cape Town. It's a well-known beachy that picks up swell when everywhere else is flat. We headed to the far left-hand corner of the bay where a right-hand peak drops you into a wedgy, bowly wall that runs into the rocks on the shore. The last time I surfed that wave was pre-COVID, and it's also where I had an encounter with a genuine living legend. When we arrived, the peak was occupied by a solo surfer. We paddled out and hung on the inside for a bit, then figured, he's on his own. There's three or four waves in a set. I'm sure he won't mind if I join him. So I paddled over, and I sat on his outside. A few nods were exchanged and comments about the conditions. He took a decent one, the first of a set and dropped into a long walling four to five footer. He was an older looking dude riding a retro shaped board wider in the front. He definitely knew how to surf. I followed his lineup marker. And from then on, we exchanged a number of waves with nothing more than a few smiles and throwaway comments about the conditions. Eventually after another 45 minutes, he took a good one in, walked up the beach and disappeared. A perfectly pleasant encounter on an average day with only two of us on it. My surf buddy had stayed mostly on the inside, but did paddle over to me to ask if I knew who that guy was. And if I talked to him, I said, nope, and not really. That was Gavin Rudolph, he explained. Never heard of him. I said, sorry. My buddy seemed disappointed in me and suggested that I Google him. And I did. Here's a snippet from the newspaper article pinned, printed in 1971 with the headline, Unknown Teenager Beats Top Hawaiian Surfers. And the article wrote, an unknown South African teen defeated seven Hawaiian surfers on their home waves this week to take first prize of $2,500 in the Smirnoff Surfing Championships. Gavin Rudolph, aged 18, captured the world's richest surfing title at Sunset Beach on Oahu's North Shore. Honolulu's Billy Hamilton was second 
Uh, Jeff Hackman was third. Rudolph also won 150 bucks for the highest final total. And also, here's an here's an excerpt from an interview that he gave about his sunset comp in uh, years after the after the event. "Quote: Mike Thompson, Sean Thompson, Ant and I stayed in a caravan at the grass at Haleiwa, and the surf was flat until the day before the contest. I had a brand new 710 Randy Rarick pintail that hadn't ever been waxed yet." I never surfed sunset prior, so the first opportunity was the day before the contest. It was 8 to 15 feet and perfect. I was coaxing myself to paddle out there and eventually mustered the courage. My first wave on the new board, I'll never forget. It was epic. 10 to 12 foot west peak at sunset. Dropped down the face, bottom turn. The rail drew a perfect line and I was mesmerized. This felt like home. Super tubes, but with warm tropical water and juice in baggies. The rest is history. My boat went like a dream and I stayed out the whole day before the contest. The swell dropped the next day to eight to 12 feet and sunset was just perfect. I came through all the rounds in second place, which got me into the final, which I took, which I won from Billy Hamilton and Jeff Hackman. Nobody on the beach knew who I was and they all seemed so confused after the results were announced. It was an awesome feeling to win that prestigious event, end quote. That session I shared with him was uneventful. No drama, no dialogue. In my, uh, If my friend hadn't told me who he was, I never would have known. But think about an unknown teenager winning at Macking Sunset on a board he had never surfed. What the hell? Before busting down the door. I wish I would have asked him about that experience while we were surfing. Then I wondered if he ever even thinks about that sunset competition, and if so, how often. If it's too far in the past to access the memories or if he can see it, can one still reach back and feel that feeling all these years later? I hope he still does. And I hope that he can work Elo's stool, South Africa. I love it. I totally love it. Elo's stool. Uh, it's an incredible idea. I mean, the fact that no name dudes, South Africa showing up at sunset back in that era, riding a board that's unwaxed and taking the win over those icons is incredible there's just one little news article written about it otherwise it's distant memory for anybody who is there that's so great and i mean that that kind of hero uh that is the that is the surf hero that surfing looks up to right the fact that he won is great and all that but it, you don't need to be a multiple time world champion you, you need to be that dude that even the little bits the courage that it takes to go you know coax into those waves like all of it of course it is but then the joy you get from it what a Great story. Thank you. Perfectly uplifting. Everything surfing should be. Gavin Rudolph. Gavin those, Rudolph is a great name too. I had never heard that name before, so I'm glad to now know it. And shout out to Gavin. It would be amazing if this podcast found its way to Gavin and he was able to hear that story that a listener wrote in about a session that he probably doesn't even remember. You know, Best part about Pros in the Wild, I reckon, is oftentimes they do come back. And they really do. Yeah. So Gavin, reach out. Yep. If you uh, if you happen to hear this. All right. Well, Chas Smith, I think we should go to commercial break and then we can come back with Barrel or not. Do it. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. 
your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Chess Smith, we are back from break and I got an email this week with the headline, JJF's true father. We had it wrong all along. Is it not John Daly? You know what? There's another famous lookalike that it may actually be. Oh, John Daly. John John Daly has competition. I know. I should pull up a photo real quick so that I could show you as I read this. Although I have a feeling you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Okay, here we go. David and Chaz, usually I call in. Um, but this correspondence needed to ride shotgun with the real, with the below photographic evidence. Behold, JJF's real father. We've been speculating about the connection between one John Daly and JJF for the past few months now. Truthfully, I was aligned. The evidence was there. It was an open and shut case in my eyes. But this Sunday, I found myself going through my typically my typical stretching uh, routine. Uh, while watching the latest episode of This Is Living, JJF was featured prominently on the episode. And after seeing him continuously pop up on my screen, it just came to me. His father has to be that badass motorcycle dude from Raising Arizona, oh. played, by, played by Leonard Smalls. I'm not sure where to take it from here, but I need to sit down. Work. Such a good call. I Raising Arizona is one of my favorite movies of all time. And Leonard Smalls is John John's father. It all makes it all makes sense. Perfect sense. Leonard Smalls at the bare minimum of John is John Daly's twin brother. Yeah. Which makes him John John Florence is something. And, you know, I'm not even probably entirely unconvinced that John Daly He's a multifaceted guy. He's not just a golfer. He's a golfer and a drinker and a smoker. Uh, that he might also have been a actor in a Coen Brothers film for a minute too. I, I wouldn't put it past John Daly that he's actually Smalls. Very well could be. What he is could be double duty? What is Leonard Smalls's name in uh, the movie? It's he has a great name. It's a. Uh, that's a great question. He is the, it's like the Reaper. Rand, or... Randall Tex Cobb. Yeah. Oh no. Is that right? <laughs> no, I think in Raising Arizona, 
His name is something. He's yeah, like yeah, yeah. called I'll whatever it, it is. I'll look it up right now. Yeah. Uh, so character good. name. Uh, Randall. Te- he is portrayed by Randall Tex Cobb, who is portraying Slag in Blind Fury. No, that's not right. The Rufus Bounty Hunter. Yeah, sorry. It's hard to do in real time. This is why we need a... um, An uh, AI assistant. An AI assistant. (laughs) A producer doing the work. Um, Man, people are shouting at us right now. They're so mad. They're so mad. We just cannot do it fast enough. I have seen so many times. Well, moving on. Barrel or Nah. Coming straight from Chas Smith Hates Surfing most recent vlog post. Cardigans. Barrel. Cardigans are such a barrel because they, any clothing that is both fashionable and functional. I mean, not any clothing. That's not true. There's a lot of clothing that is functional. That's not fashionable, but the cardigan, the mighty cardigan is perfect. It is the sweater that says, I mean business, but I'm also a friendly father figure. I am your, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. How, oh, yeah. I'm forgetting um, everybody's names. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. You are like, Mr. Rogers chose exactly right the cardigan. You know that you are both a little slightly warm-er and, you know, fashionable, but not stuffy, not uptight. I got to say, I have a cardigan that I got maybe two years ago, it has become my favorite article of clothing. Yeah. I don't think about cardigans, to be honest. I never, like, until this question popped up, I was like, I've never even really thought about. But that one article of clothing, I find myself wearing all the time around the house. It's comfortable. It's got pockets right here. So yep. I can kind of always have things accessible. It's warm. It's The one that I have isn't like the one you were wearing. It's like thicker with like a shawl. So I could pull up the collar and keep myself warm. It is a kind of a perfect article of clothing. Exactly. And if you got to pop out real quick, oh, David Lee, could you run to the store real quick? You're at that store. People are looking at you thinking, well, look at that man about town. Nobody's noticing the man in a cardigan and saying, everybody's looking at that cardigan, bro, and saying, that's the man I want to be. I know. I don't even know how I ended up with that. It's not something I would normally choose, but it has become my favorite article of clothing and it's stylish. Now, now that you're very aware of it, are you going to be in the market for more cardigans? I've I, thought about it. I encourage, I have how many good car? I have one, two, three, I think I have four really good cardigans in regular rotation. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of cardigans. Yeah, it's winter. The thing, the thing is I'm apprehensive to just blanket this statement out there because there's stupid looking ones too. There's bad of everything, but the yeah, cardigan, the cardigan uh, is should be a staple. If you do not have a cardigan, and you're a male or female listening to this show, go get yourself a cardigan. Yep. I'm a fan. If I had a cardigan brand, I would put Sasha Jane Lowerson in it on my Instagram. But then a couple days later, I would delete it. And then a couple days later, I would apologize for it. The the cardigan is the uh, non-binary article of clothing. Sure, it is. You could wear your wife's cardigan and your wife could wear your cardigan. That's true. That's true. So I wouldn't even have to delete it. I could just say, what? This is the women's card. I mean, men's, I mean, the... Uh, then I'd have to delete it. It's for everybody. <laughs> uh, barrel or nah from a listener bragging about your kids' achievements in public scholarships, etc. 
Yeah, is a tough one, man. This is a tough one because it's probably a nah. But, okay, here we go. Caveated, I suppose, as some of these are. It's a nah if you're using your child's accomplishments to get clout for yourself. If you're trying to up yourself in somebody else's eyes because your kid did something, and if that's the uh, reason, and you know if that's the reason or not that you're doing it, then it's a no barrel. Using your kid as a step on a ladder to your greater, like people thinking greater of you, no barrel. Yeah. But if you are so proud that you just can't help it, that it like bubbles out of you and you even know it's obnoxious and that you're turning people off by, but you just can't help it. I'm going to say that's a barrel. I'm going to say that is, I'm going to say being a proud parent is a barrel. Uh, and bubbling accidentally like try to keep a lid on it but if it just if you just can't someday have at it proud I'm no parent i'm going no barrel because you think being a proud parent is no barrel being a proud parent's fine but the question here was about in public yeah and so in private settings you can brag to your friends you know like you are proud of your kid but in public discretion i you know what i mean you. like and my kid knows that I'm proud of him and I'll prove it to him in a million ways, but I don't need to go out there and put a bumper sticker on my car talking about he was the honor roll student. Or I'm not like saying that. that. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a no barrel. Exactly. I agree with you there. Okay. But what about, see, here we go. This is this slippery slope. David Lee scales when young Austin comes home and wins his first stripe on his belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, are you going to post it on Instagram? Hell no. What if he wins state title in his age division of four? He like beat six-year-olds and stuff. He like strangled them out. He wins California. I mean, I don't see myself posting that type of stuff on Instagram. Really? I, but what I if, don't. I don't what know. What if young I, Austin then looks back through your feed 50 years from now? You're dead. He's looking through the feed and said, I guess my dad wasn't proud of me. Well, I, I see a bunch of him riding that resin wave. Uh, but <laughs> there's, there's a um, dignified way to do it. I, I don't know. There's also things that are like private family, family things that don't need to be put on blast. And it's almost the more proud I am about those details, the less we need to put it on blast. I so I you. don't see public as being the right place to showcase the affection for my kids, you know, well, the affection for my kid period or the affection for his accomplishments. I'm going to say though, sometimes the public square, Instagram, whatever, Facebook, wherever you are, happen to be in the public square, the proud parent, you just can't help it. It's like the bubble bubbles. Here's, here's the other prop thing that I think is affecting my decision-making here is that I remember this one couple that my parents were friends with who could not stop talking about their children's accomplishments, their kids have done far less with their lives than my, my, me and my siblings have done. You know what I mean? In fact, they've been degenerates in society, but their parents thought that they were the greatest gift to civilization. And I feel like those things go hand in hand. Like the parents buttering up their kids in that way publicly all the time was actually detrimental to the kid's own growth and well-being. I'll give you that, that the uh, 
the accomplishment has to be a real accomplishment. If you're bragging publicly about your kid, if you say my kid just got, you know, one dodgeball tournament at school, yeah. uh, then, you know, okay, cool, bro. Uh, but if the accomplishment is real, like it's a genuine accomplishment, young Austin beating every Bra Brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestler in California. That's I'm going, I'm going to allow one brag every five years, five years. That's a, that's a long time. I think it has to be earned for sure. But I think you should shorten that to a brag a year. I think you, this is a slippery slope brag a year. If, if that thing is worth uh, bragging about some you years go by where you didn't, Hey man, you didn't do anything this year. Sorry about it. For most kids. I mean, your kid has yeah. to be incredibly special to once a year, do something that is so impressive that it warrants, you know, shoving it in your other friends' faces. Here, here. When was the last time a friend or or somebody you knew or somebody you heard bragging about their kid made a brag about their kid and you said, "Whoa, that is that is something." I mean, never. You've I mean, never I can't. Had... I can't think of one. I mean, here's the here's not answering your question, but. I watch Shane Dorian's kid and I go, that kid's incredible. He's doing incredible things all the time or Sierra Kerr for that. And, but I don't see Shane Dorian ever pointing saying, look what Jackson did. I see Jackson doing it and earning my respect as a viewer, but never once Shane saying, look what my kid did. That's true. But he does post pictures of Jackson doing stuff. And we make the assessment whether it's noteworthy or not. Yeah, but the fact that he's putting, I mean, that's kind of a humble brag right there. That's like, it hey, is. man, I'm going to put this thing up that's so sick that it's undeniably cool. Nothing you can say, bro. Yeah, well, we remain divided. Okay, I'm still we barrel. I'm going no barrel. Keep it to yourself. Um, barrel or not, hooting someone off a wave. And what have we deemed the, the acceptable and unacceptable ways to call someone off a wave when taking off? A sharp, quick whistle, a hey, a yeah. Barrel or not? Barrel, completely. If you let somebody fully drop in on you and you remain mute, that is not cool, man. Like you can, you can be, you know, you don't have to necessarily run up on that person and cause violence, but you sure as heck for every, for the sake of everyone in the lineup, you need to know, because nobody likes somebody dropping in blind, right? Like look around, swivel your head. If you're choosing, if some bro is choosing to drop in on you, that's one thing. But if he's accidentally, you need to let him know, hey, you just dropped in on me. And my way I do it is I got the, uh, a loud whistle. So I recommend everyone developing that skill of the, uh, yeah. cause it's sharp and it gets everybody's attention right away. There's no, I'll also do the, oi, if I'm really close, if they like drop right in front of me, I'll give them the grunt. I give them a, you, <laughs> kind of a high pitch, like, <laughs> Um, but it has to be high pitched. It has to cut through all other noise, but absolutely it is okay to hoot somebody off a wave. It really comes down to what style of hoot is appropriate. You know, I'm going to uh, say you just got a whistle because the, a man going, you, woo. Yeah. It's not, it's not dignified. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it's really hard to make. Cause in that moment you are alpha, you are like marking your territory as the alpha male in that situation, right? You are saying this wave is mine. You are taking what's mine. This is, and so if you do that in a high pitched voice, <laughs> that doesn't carry the gravitas. So learn that whistle. 
practice a whistle is I think where we're landing here is just yes. work on the whistle and then bring it out with you prepared to go at any moment's notice. Yep. Yep. You know what I've actually, now that I really think about it, what I've become accustomed to doing in recent years is like a really um, thought out and in advance, like, Hey man, I'm going right. Oh, like, yeah. like an actual like sentence delivered without any franticness at all. And it's a position, it really is kind of a power move because it's like, this is five seconds before I catch this wave, which means I have the confidence that I'm going to actually catch this wave. I'm also delivering it with the same cadence of speech as if we were just sitting having a cup of coffee. So the exertion that I'm putting into catching this wave isn't even wearing me out. And it's, you know, it's just a confident move like, hey, bro, I'm going right. And then they're like, oh, okay. So solid. And so like, because every single time I'll see somebody paddling and I don't know what my mind's thinking. My mind is like, even before, you know, we're not like, I'm not saying paddling for the way, but paddling to get in position. That's the time to say it. But like, why are you paddling to get in position, bro? This is my wave. Like you don't right. need to be, exactly. you don't need to be worrying yourself right now. Like exactly the, and that is so much better because the, having them drop in in front of you, whether a good percentage of the time, it takes something out of that wave. Like, you know, you have yeah. to go around them, or even if the, like you hoot them and they stop paddling, there's still a little crumble there, whatever it may be. The well in advance, don't bother yourself. There's probably another one out the back. You can maybe exactly. go try to get, this one's mine. Or I'll also do the thing where I can see that they're trying to assess my positioning and I'll just say, hey, I'm looking left on this. Yeah. So that they can just kind of focus on looking at the right, you know? Just you do you, but this is yeah. what this you do you as long as it doesn't get in my way. I'm the one with priority right here to make the decision whether I'm going right or left. I'm giving you plenty of advance notice. I'm going left. Go ahead and just have at the right, you know, kind of a thing. Do you think that's what Philippe Toledo was doing out in the lineup at Pipeline? No, I do not think that's what he was doing. Here's a question for you, David Lee Scales, real quick before we end. Uh, the, where does Philippe, does Philippe Toledo, is he so self-delusional that he's strutting around the North shore right now, getting ready for sunset, kind of, you know, getting rid of his drinking his Pepto-Bismol, getting healthy again. Uh, is he showing his face or is he, does he have an ounce of reality left in him where he knows that he is a laughing stock and he should get out of town real quick? I think he maintains a thin veneer of everything's cool, bro. I'm a two-time world champ. Like I can kind of strut or I can go to the grocery store and hold my head high, but it is barely covering up a deep sense of embarrassment. But here's the, cause here's the thing too. He's still on the North shore. It's still pumping somewhere theoretically. I mean, the contest didn't run today, but he should, if you wanted to put all rumors to bed, he would go out and charge you know, somewhere else. Dude, I, I meant to say that to you at the very top of the show was there's no need for him to get on social media and write a diatribe in his own defense. The only defense that he needs is to post a clip of him getting a big barrel somewhere. A big like, pipeline, not like a pipeline a big, or a chopu. Pipeline, pipeline or, or chopu. chopu. Yeah. A big, a like, big sunset kind of even wave. better, even better. Go to Jaws, go yeah. to Jaws and take off, go to Waimea and everybody, we would all be forced to shut up. You know, the days leading up to the event, Gabe was out there getting waves. Uh, Italo was out there getting waves at Pipe, not Jaws. And obviously, all the CT surfers are out there practicing for waves. Felipe is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. All that he has to do 
is prove us wrong. And he will not. He has not for years. Well, thankfully, on Beach Grid today, if he wants to leave the North Shore, uh, this morning's post, Travel and Leisure Magazine, has identified the beach, world's beach, with the calmest waters on Earth. Not one wave. And it's the aptly named Baby Beach in Maui. So Philippe Toledo should, well, hop on a plane, go to Baby Beach, and recharge. It's waiting for you. Yep, it's right there. It's, it's a right inter-island flight away. 20-minute flight. Boom. Well, exciting. We will watch the rest of the event and report on it right here next week on The Grid. I wonder what uh, AI comments my bot is going to generate for this week's show. I hope it talks a lot about Pip Toledo, but maybe it will not pick up Pip Toledo as the talking point amongst the broader public. Maybe mm. Philippe Toledo well, is a small story. The Sydney Morning Herald wrote about it, and the headline was about him chickening out. It's amazing. So it's big news. It's big news. Good. I want. We just need to say the word "poo poo touch" more, so yeah. the bot starts picking that up as well. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna learn how to train the bot. Is what we're gonna do. Poo poo touch is important, bot. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody go to Camp Shred this weekend if you're in San Diego and uh, check out weekend vans. And of course, go to drinkag1.com slash surf to live your optimal life. If no Toledo drank it, he would charge. Absolutely. And he would, get, and he would not get food poisoning. He would double, protect, double. His, protect his gut and give him the power he needs at pipe. All right, Chess Smith, until next week. Keep working.